because it's all about confidence. If you have confidence that your people can deploy, if you have confidence that they can't do the wrong things or that it's easy for them to do the right things and it's hard for them to do the wrong things, you'll let them deploy as needed. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Shraki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's q r v e y.com. Hello, I'm pleased to have Nick Darkin as my guest at this episode. Nick is the field CTO at Harness, someone with a good business understanding as well as the technology has been in on both sides of think on the equation, sometimes playing as an investor, sometimes on the business side, now on the product and architecture understanding. So that's perfect for this podcast that we are really talking to SaaS companies who want to scale and grow faster. And we are really talking to product brains in those companies and people who are really in charge of product strategy. That is the heart of any, you know, SaaS business essentially. So thank you very much, Nick, for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on, Armand. I appreciate it, genuinely. Oh, thank you. You have been very much involved and in current life, essentially even more, that you are essentially automating the automation. It's a new wave of bringing a new level of efficiency and you know lowering the number of errors that can happen. So if you could you know, explain to us a little bit about that part, your experience, and in general, it's a free format. So I would encourage you to really share, you know, your experience in any way that you think will help SaaS companies to grow and scale faster. Feel free to, you know, even pose new questions for yourself and expand and get into some uh, new topics if you would like. We are not really trying to really go down a very certain path. So whatever helps our audience, that would be great. Perfect. You know, we think about software delivery. Right. We think about everyone's trying to go faster. Everyone's trying to reach velocity. And what's interesting is that we've all done this by expanding our CI tools, using open source technologies. And then what we find is that everyone runs into this huge problem, which is governance. So now we go from, all right, let's go fast to we have to do it appropriately. And this becomes difficult, especially because every different you know company has different regulatory requirements, different security requirements, different compliance requirements, so forth. And that's where it's become hard. And if businesses are actually able to achieve both speed, velocity, and governance, the next problem that they have traditionally is in you know things like efficiency and things like even quality, right? So if I deploy faster, now I'm deploying my monoliths, I've moved to microservices. I'm deploying instead of monthly or weekly, I'm now deploying daily or multiple times a day. I've got an end times end problem and there's not enough bodies to go and actually look at all of the metrics that we need to be able to understand what normal looks like. 
this becomes a huge problem for folks. And there's genuinely not enough people in the company, let alone in the DevOps space or the operations space, to even be able to handle this. If they can automate all the way through, so you know, making it fast, making it govern, and then for that matter, even handling success and failure automated, the next problem we have is efficiency, which is cost. So now we're deploying often, we're deploying to the cloud or deploying to multiple clouds, things aren't being tagged appropriately, things are being using large resources, and our costs go up and we're not efficient. And when we think about automation, a lot of people sometimes get scared. And I like to look at it like we did in the early 1900s. So we started building mechanical muscle. We started building machines to do the labor of horses and humans, and it made everyone's jobs easier, right? We kind of rose all the tides, meaning all the boats rose as well. And this is really what we're doing at Harness is making sure that we're empowering all of our engineers and taking care of their worst and, and their most hated parts of the job. So if you ask any SRE or DevOps team or even developers, who loves babysitting deployments? That's not something anyone enjoys doing. We might enjoy the free pizza in the war room, but we hate being in the war room in the first place. And these are the things, you know, if you think about the tests that we run, right? Who wants to sit there and wait for every single test to run every single time? Like, why can't we do this smarter? Who wants to lob up infrastructure for non-production and, you know, during times when we're using them and tear them down when they're not? Automating a lot of this process and these pieces, that's really what it's about. So it's, when we think about software delivery, if we think continuous delivery, it, it's really about automate everything, which is to your point. So it's taking what we've been scripting and what we've been doing and really taking that burden off of folks and really empowering them to do what they're best at. Yeah, that's great. And at Curvey, when we started, we used these open source technologies for building process, trying to automate it. But sometimes errors happen. Sometimes you want to really do this faster. You know, that's the problem when it, it takes time to get there when you are really using those kind of solutions versus using a polished solution. And, you know, looking at Harness was one of the technologies that we were impressed with and we looked at it and it's great because then you have a package, you know, you have gone through that process to make it more difficult, essentially to make a mistake. It's a matter of time saving. So over time, as we go forward, SaaS companies, time is what matters. So time is getting more expensive and money is getting cheaper. And as a SaaS company, I need to really save my time and accelerate and move faster. And the technology companies, time is different for us than non-technology companies. Time goes by much faster. One year for us is a lot of time. It's not just one year. It might be, you know, multiple years actually. And, and the competition also is, is getting faster. So it forces us. So is it valid to say, for example, from your perspective, if you had a new SaaS company starting tomorrow and you wanted to really see the SaaS company succeed, is it easier to really save time or is it easier to really bring more money? Or do you think you need both? What's your take on that? What is the biggest challenge in a very big picture from your perspective based on experiences that you have? I'm going to take my harness hat off for a little bit. And I think we can answer this question just kind of honestly, which is we should be spending our time on things that generate revenue. And the last time I checked, having your own software delivery tool that you wrote doesn't gain you benefit. No investors be like, ooh, they've got a 10x valuation increase because they wrote their own CD tool, right? No one writes their own compilers anymore. 
And really, I think that's across the board. So even forget, you know, software delivery, we should be spending time on what's going to generate revenue for that SaaS company. And that's where we should be investing our time. If there are tools that can do this so that we don't have to, right? As long as the ROI is there, take those options and make sure they're there for, I like to say where you were, where you are and where you're going. A lot of SaaS companies have started in SaaS. And so they've started cloud native, which makes it real easy. But a lot of them have come from some sort of legacy portion of making a journey to SaaS. That can be more complicated. The reality is when you're picking a tool, regardless, when you're picking software, when you're picking people, we talk about people, process, and technology a lot. People, process, tooling. I think it's kind of garbage. I really do. Because it's all about confidence. If you have confidence that your people can deploy, if you have confidence that they can't do the wrong things, or that it's easy for them to do the right things, and it's hard for them to do the wrong things. You'll let them deploy as needed. And these are the interesting parts. These are the pieces that become more fun. And so really, when I think about it, it's about confidence. Having confidence that this will go right, that's what it's about. And so don't be building parts of your business that you can get that are commoditized and spend time on what's going to drive value for your SaaS business. And if you look at our two realms, I'll put the harness hat back on. If you look at our two realms of kind of where we, we help folks, a large chunk and number of our customers are early stage startups. We have an entire commercial team designed specifically for this. There's even one that we work with. They have the same investors as we do. It's called Vivin. They, they're using almost our entire platform for CI, for CD, for cloud cost management. And they themselves have software to help sales engineers to help them do their job better. But they said to themselves, why would I write all of this from scratch. Why would I take my CI tool and rewrite it and, and start writing scripts from scratch when I can literally start going now? And at a fraction of a DevOps engineer's cost, that's the, the, the mathematical equation. So now you know, okay, great, let's go make that investment. And that's really with anything that we have in our business, right? The reason why we have the tools that we have, the reason that we've invested in them is because I don't wanna write them anymore. And I think sometimes we get in a trap because if you're in a SaaS business and you're an early SaaS business, you know you can write it. That's the hard part, I think, for us is sometimes determining whether that investment is worth it. While we want to do it, might not be what's best for the business. There is a mega trend in the market that essentially applies to software companies. Software is relatively new, so we have been around for a few decades, not more. Most people forget about it. That software, the whole history of software is just a few decades. It's less than a lifetime. <laughs> it's real recent. Exactly. And then we are getting specialized now. We are at the age that now a software company should not and cannot do everything. We need to be specialized and focus on our core competency as a SaaS company in order to go faster. You know, it, it reminds me of old days. If you were in medicine, then you could be a doctor a few centuries ago and know everything. And now there's no single doctor you can go with and say everything from toe to head, everything, you know, he knows everything. There is no such a person anymore in the world. Or if there is, probably that person's knowledge is not deep enough to be helpful. So... Software is going through the same phenomenon. And, and in that case, it's just exactly what you said, that if you are a SaaS company in the new age, you have to really understand what your core competency is and then rely on other tools that they have done a much better job than you can ever do and just use, utilize them in order to move faster. That's really where we are in this new age and this mega trend we are. Now, if you look around and you look at SaaS companies that you know, at some degree, What's your feeling? Is it is it the transition to that age is done? 
companies are really focusing on what they do and then they understand they should do the rest by using other tools that are in the market and doing a great job? Or do you think the tools are still on, on their development and we are not there ready to empower them to do that? Or do you think that we are not even close to get to that particular you know, time that, you know, still we need 5, 10, 12, 20 years to get to the point that everyone as a software company can come in and say, this is my core competency and I already have all of the tools I need and put together and quickly go to market and do a perfect job. I think you've got a lot in that question and I think we should unpack them all because they're they're great. I think the first one we should start with is actually where, where you talked about, you know, if you think about the a doctor today, like we're asking you know, full stack developers full stack DevOps, DevSecOps. Like if you look at some of these recs that go up on these websites, you're asking someone to know everything about creating the software, running it on the cloud, knowing the network, knowing the security. To your point, like we can go that path, but the reason I'm going to go to a very specific neurologist, right, for my neurological problems, or I'm going to go to, you know, the different doctors for different reasons is because we have specialists. And even in our companies, we have them. We have operators. We have you know, folks that are that are working specifically on security and networking. And so I think to your point, what we haven't done a good job of today is bringing all of that together in one tooling. So we had CI for the developers and they would build their artifacts. And we had operational, you know, ARA or ARO, application release orchestration, or application release administration for operations teams. And we had security tooling for security teams. So to your point, we've all had that disparate place and that's why we wanted to put them together. And the reason we created Harness well, five years ago now was because we saw this huge gap. And we also saw something that was interesting, which is we finally collapsed down on at least some centralized understanding of what applications are built on and what they run on. 10, 20 years ago, it was random. It was anything, anywhere, whether it was BSD or you know, Linux or Windows or God knows, Novell for that matter. I mean, it was anything. And now we've come down to some standards and a certain subset of clouds and a certain subset of infrastructure. And so now it's finally possible to bring all of that together. And I think that's where the power is. And we talk about DevSecOps, you know, I was talking to the guys from DevOps.com and it was interesting. They said we might've done some disservice by calling it DevOps and trying to wrangle it together. Just like CI and CD, we tried to put them together and they really were very different things. And what I think DevOps or DevSecOps is really about is actually making sure that we're all operating in the same context. We're using the same tools. We're getting the same output. We're gleaning our information from the same data. Because you and I both know if I look at data and you look at data, we can look at it differently. But if we're actually seeing it in the same context, now we have a shared story. That's what's valuable. So to answer your question, and I know I've kind of went back to come forward, is now we're finally at a point where I used to have to evangelize that this was needed. Now people have it in their budget. They know they need software to do this. They know they want to bring it together because in order to reach those velocity gains, they have to wrap that governance in it. They have to be able to make sure that it's efficient. They have to make sure that, that we actually stay up and running. And so all of those parts are needed and we can now bolt them together. And so, so I guess to your point is we've reached a place where clouds are now offering kind of their own you know, startup kit in a box, which has some benefits if you want to stay on that cloud. Even the on-premise folks, right? We look at what VMware is doing with Tanzu. We look at what, what Red Hat's doing with all their, their tooling around OpenShift and OpenStack and so forth. So everyone has you know, an amalgamation. And what we found is that that is phenomenal if you want to stick down that one path. And that one path might be great. But as you know, folks that we've dealt with, there's traditionally a desire to be able to be in multiple locations, multiple places. 
And so I guess to answer it, yes, it's finally there where the tooling should be there enough to give you the head start. And you've got companies out there, cloud you know, included, as well as you know, folks like us, that can really help you get that jump start. And I would say with any tooling, so again, take harness out of it. If you're not going to gain value from a tool, don't use it. If a tool is harder to use than what you do today, don't use it. You know, and don't let people slam it down your throat. I think the intention here is genuinely when we're using a tool as opposed to our own, you know, software we wrote or our own people, it's to make our lives easier. And I think that should be the the basis that we start with and go there. But but I genuinely think now, at least in the software delivery side, you've got all the tools that you need to become successful or be successful and scale. Because what we've seen a lot of times is people will use a subset of tooling when they're early. A lot of open source stuff, a lot of you know traditionally used uh, things, or even some very cloud native specific stuff. And then when we grow, we have new requirements. We have new regulatory. I can't be in one cloud, right? Or I have to be in multiple data centers or multiple regions or multiple places. I have to use, we acquire companies. And now we've got different stacks. So we've got different languages that we have to support, different technology stacks to support. And now it gets complex. And so when we think about the tooling, and again, even out of software delivery, making sure that it will work with where you're at and where you're going is important. We don't always know exactly where we're going, but we can we can take some of those insights. And that's really what will help you choose any software that you're using to enhance your SaaS company. Cloud is the new operating system, right? So if you look at it that way, and, you know, it still is less than 10%, according to AWS, it's less than 10% of the deployments in the world. And even if you think that, you know, every company, SaaS company nowadays and cloud is huge, it still is not even 10%, it seems. Now, the benefit of cloud, of course, is the scalability. You can really scale much faster, better than the previous world, that it was not super easy to really scale at this level and utilize your software for so many people around the world. But at the same time, it comes at the price of complexity and, you know, a little bit more components involved now than old days. I remember, you know, 20 years ago, you could choose just you know, .NET as a platform, or you could choose Java as a platform, and then you could deploy on one box. And then everything, you could go to one environment and just click the button and get things done versus now too many pieces are involved. But at the same time, it can mean more power. It can mean, you know, you scale better. You can solve the problems that you couldn't possibly solve technologically 20 years ago. So it comes with a lot of power, but also it comes with some kind of flexibility that can be translated to complexity. And that's the other reason that probably... You know, people should really be careful about using different tools rather than just developing everything. So maybe build versus buy. I could hear way more 20 years ago, 15 years ago, that debate. Now, I don't think it's even valid in many areas. I mean, it's just and getting less and less relevant because it's just obvious you have to just use other things rather than building everything. Is it your observation that in amongst companies that you know, it's really the same equation that you hear less build versus buy kind of debates, and it's becoming more obvious and more clear where the right path is? And also, would you agree that we have more complexity compared to 10 years ago, for example, but we have more power and flexibility as well? I don't know if the complexity has actually gone up in the last 10 or 20 years, I think what's 
our options have increased. So what I mean by that is if I wanted new hardware, I had to order it. I had to wait for it to come in. I had to have it put in the data center. I had to install operating systems. I had only choices that my company gave me, right? I had packages I want on there, but it was only the ones my company. So I was limited as a developer. So I had the same options or similar options. I just wasn't given them. And now where, you know, for SaaS companies, I see cloud being, you know, a huge benefit is that barrier to entry, Right. I can have a redundant, fault-tolerant, highly available setup in minutes using the clouds. And I don't have to buy massive infrastructure. And oh, by the way, if I grow and my traffic grows, I can scale it up. You know, and to your point, you, you know, you talked about this small percentage that's in the cloud. I think you're 100% right. People are moving to different cloud offerings. And even the clouds are trying to figure this out because there's great workloads for the cloud that lend themselves astronomically well to this and then there's ones that just genuinely do not and the thing is is they're even working on things like spot instance or looking at preemptive instances on google so forth they're giving you ways to bring the cost down because they realize that unless we do it that way there's there's no actual good way to do it and so i don't know if the complexities have necessarily gone up i think the availability to the developer is where we see it on the second part of the question we're talking about okay Build versus buy. Well, what I would say, it's just moving up the stack. So we used to build our own compilers. No one would do that in their right mind, right? How many people are building their own CI tool from scratch? No one. And so as tools become available, become thorough enough to be able to solve problems, both in generic and specific, now we can start leveraging them. And so I think what we've seen over the last, you know, in the history of computing and of software is we've seen those larger and larger and more complex problems being solved by software, by tools. And so to that point, right? Yes, we're seeing less build, but in certain areas, the only way we've been able to deploy software was either manually having people physically go and like, okay, I'm going to change the database, right? Now it's your turn, right? And you go do the work and then I'll push it to then automating that with scripts and, you know, whether it be, you know, all the different, you know, salt stacks and, and so forth or the array tools. Now we finally have an opportunity to truly use delivery tools. And so what you find is that now, okay, people are spending their time up the stack. And so they don't have to write this now. There's still problems they have to solve and they're writing them up the stack. And I think any SaaS company that's building and solving a problem, their goal is to really come in and challenge that, you know, if you think about it, that build versus buy area, own it. And then if they're going to grow, it's not to stay in that spot. If you stay in that one spot and be the anchor of it, that's great. You'll have incumbents coming in. You might be the first horse, but you're probably not going to be the last. And so it's really to then go up the stack and find where more and more of those problems are now being scripted by your customers, where more and more of their engineering times are being used, because that's where you can drive value. And I think that's important for any SaaS company is not to get comfortable and sitting there and say, okay, great. We do this phenomenally. We're the best at it. We see a ton of companies do that. And then five years later, the market's moved on and they haven't. And they don't have something to backfill. And I think that's extremely important if you're getting into the SaaS journey, it's, you know, of course, making your first success, but then also spending equal, if not more time, making sure that we have, you know, success into the future. Soft is new trends that come with the kind of cloud age, like serverless architecture and microservices and these kind of things. How do you feel about them? And how would you explain to a product brain, product managers and CEOs of software companies, SaaS companies, 
that this is the new way to go. If you are starting a SaaS company, definitely go that route and think about it more seriously than maybe most companies may think. What's your take on it? They should do it. Is it really a must-have? Is it a nice-to-have kind of architecture? How do you see it? Sure. I think if you talk to somebody from Netflix, they'll tell you it's the only way to go, which sounds great. I think when you talk to regulated industries, it becomes a little more complex, becomes a little more complicated. And I think what's interesting is a lot of people talk about microservices. And if you dig deep, if you answer honestly and intellectually honest, you'll find that most of them are so architected, still dependent on services, which really doesn't get us away from the monolith. We just have, you know, different code bases we can go and and chew at, but we're still deploying in that same complexity. And I think that's one of the things that people forget. They go, oh, great. I'm going to move to microservices. So all my problems will go away. I'm going to deploy just this one app. So I only have to troubleshoot that one app. That's the only team that needs to be on the line when they deploy. They're the only one that's going to have to worry about it. And I think what we find often is that that's not the case. And that might be because of architecture. That also might be just because of how it's designed. Again, governance, compliance, right? It could be a ton of different reasons. But what we still find is that there's a lot of people that are getting affected by any given deployment. And that can cause tension. And this comes to that confidence piece, right? If you have tooling there that can guarantee that not only will it succeed, but if it doesn't succeed, it'll handle if it's failed. Now, you don't have to worry about it. But if you don't have that, going to microservices can actually cause you a ton more operational headache. If we don't come up into the times like our software is with our operational processes, you'll be way behind. How do you then, you're doing quarterly, you're doing monthly, you're doing weekly. How do you get to multiple times a day? How do you get to 72 different environments? How do you get to random or ephemeral environments now? These become all the complexities that come with microservices that people forget. It's one of the reasons why Harness came into place was because they went, hey, I want to use the same resources I had to do my monthly deploy, but now I want to do 200 deploys daily. There's just not enough people. And so, you know, serverless is great. You know, I think of the cloud as somebody else's data center. I think a serverless is a pre-configured runtime that I can just go use anywhere I want. And it can be as I need it. And so what I see serverless being used for a lot is those base functions that are true microservices, true microservices, phenomenal place. When people start architecting serverless infrastructure into their core applications and have it as a really dependent service across the board, now we get into the same complexities that we had putting it on a physical piece of hardware. And it has to be managed and it has to be you know under the same scrutiny. So I think each one of these has its benefits, but don't go blindly expecting it's going to be easier, right? It might be easier to create. It might be easier to get off the ground. It might become more challenging to operate. And it's something that if we're not aware of it, can hit you with costs later in areas that you weren't expecting. So I think we've seen a lot of folks that went from monoliths entirely to microservices. And in that break, they realized they don't have half the people they need to be able to actually work on the deployments. They've restructured their teams even, right? To add you know, a DevOps function inside every application team. Well, this gets costly and they're hard to find and the resources are hard. And so I think it's something to be aware of that phenomenal in concept, if done appropriately, amazing, if done inappropriately, can be more burden than you have today in your monoliths. So hopefully that makes sense. And, and you know, I'm, I'm willing to have the debate on this too. Like, you know, it's not only my opinion here. No, no, that's great. That's great. That comes from experience. So it should matter. It's helpful when, you know, people with experience talk about these topics and if I were a product manager 
or someone even starting as a founder, a SaaS company, this is one of the main topics I should pay attention to because when you architecturally you decide on something, it's not possible to change it later on. It's not a feature that you can tweak and add and remove. It's really the architectural decisions you made day one and you have to stick to it for a long time. So definitely something very important to pay attention. To. I, th I think you brought up something though in that statement that is important. We make decisions early on often and we make them based on the information we have at hand. And so one of the things that, you know, I've always hated is people come in later stage to a company and like, why was this created? This doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's not very beneficial to the company at all. The people who built this are probably pretty smart and there's probably a really good reason they did it. And what I like to find is more of the understanding. I love to get into the why. Why was that done? And it might be a really good reason. It might be a horrible reason, like a customer singular asked for it. And so we did it. And that's fine too. But understanding the why helps you then understand how to get out of it. And also realizing that the decisions you do make while challenging to change, sometimes they're worth it. And admitting to ourselves that we picked the right thing at the right time and it's no longer the right thing is not a failure. And I think oftentimes people will do that. They, they've hard picked a technology, they fought for it, they championed it. Two years later, there's new stuff out. It's not that we made the wrong decision. Two years ago, we made the right decision. Now we just have to determine what to do with it. And so I think if we go with the, the proper intent, every one of those conversations can be done appropriately. We can all leave learning something good. If we don't do it with the proper intent, you can upset the people who've been there the longest, who have the most understanding of the product, and you can really make a hostile environment. There's tons of knowledge from a lot of people sharing it, I find is actually, because most of these engineers are working together, we all have expertise, right, in certain areas. And so making sure we do it together, I think is extremely important in creating an environment where we can have that positive intent. And I know that sounds stupid, but it's extremely important. It's retention of, of engineers. It's also extremely great for collaboration. Products are not good if, if it's just my ideas and mindset. We've got to take from, from customers, from prospects, from other engineers, from other expertise to really bring in, you know, to make the best product. Great point. No, great point. Definitely. You know, too often we think about product technology, all of these tools, and we think not enough about people. At the end of the day, people are behind everything. And if we are not thinking about that in a good way and comprehensive way, we may miss many of these points. So regardless of which tool process technology we choose, first, we need to cultivate a good culture, as you say, collaboration, cooperation. You know, people trust each other first before they start a project. If there is no enough, you know, trust in the team, nothing else would matter because that confidence that Th you just this said. This gets to the confidence. This is it. It's confidence. So how do you breed that confidence? And it can be confidence in people, confidence in tooling products. That's why I said it's about confidence. And I think it's something that sometimes when people scale, so you look at these SaaS companies, they'll go, they'll build, they'll do something great. They'll get a ton of investment and now we grow. And I've been in startups where that culture becomes toxic. because so I got a whole set of new people coming in telling us how everything was done wrong, which is great, except for the reason they have a job here is because of those people did something in order to get off the ground, which is to that point, maybe even a different skill set and a different set of needs. Sometimes we build for an MVP, not necessarily with production in mind. And while that might not be the right thing, it's the thing that got us funded or the things that, that, that move things along. And that's why I think, you know, making sure that we can step back and say, you know what, we made a decision for the right reason when we did, and it's not now. It's hard for an ego, but it's great for a company.
And it's great for the product. It's great for the valuation of the company. Because if we can be honest about it, then we can move forward. Fantastic. Before I end this episode, I would like to ask you if you have any particular book that is your favorite or you have been reading it recently do you want to share with the audience? Sure. You know, it's funny. I go back to some of the old ones. In fact, our our blog, we just put out a a whole thing on kind of all the, the DevOps to-dos, like who to follow, you know, all the books to read. And it's got the, you know, the Accelerates and it's got the Phoenix Project in it. And I think those are, you know, kind of great things if you're getting into this. I think another one, and this is again, going to be around Teams, if you look at The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, it really helps people craft teams, which might be the most complex thing that you have to solve. It might not be the software. It might be the teams. And so looking at it holistically, oftentimes people come on these with all of the software delivery books and all of the, you know, how to get to the cloud faster books. And I think those have a, a place and they're extremely important, but most of us are technical already. And I think working on the aspects that are not our strengths is good as well. So that's one that I like. I've got a ton there as well. But I think the Advantage by Patrick Lencioni is a good, a good start for, for teams. Fantastic. Thanks again, Nick, for joining us. I appreciate your time. Hope to connect later and having you on other episodes as well. We wish you luck and great success. I genuinely appreciate the opportunity to come on here and would be glad to do this again. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, whatever we can do for you, absolutely glad to do it. So thank you again and have a wonderful one. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ishragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.